Hey, this is Nick here. I wanted to send a quick message to the founders out there. If you're raising your first round of capital and you're not located in the Bay Area, New York City, or Boston, we'd love to connect with you. Newstack leads deals for founders that don't fit the standard Silicon Valley profile and are located in undercapitalized areas. If that describes you, or if you know a startup that fits that description, please send us an email. It's team at newstack.vc. Now here's a word from our partners. This episode of TFR is brought to you by Pacific Western Bank. Pacific Western is the leading provider of venture debt and banking services to startups, growth stage companies, and their investors. Go to pacwest.com to learn more. Welcome to the podcast about investing in startups, where existing investors can learn how to get the best deal possible. And those that have never before invested in startups can learn the keys to success from the venture experts. Your host is Nick Moran, and this is The Full Ratchet. Welcome to another special release of Investor Stories. On this installment, the experts discuss a startup that they did not invest in, why they passed, and if there was a key learning that now informs their approach. Here's the segment called Why I Passed. On today's Investor Story segment, we have Cyan Bannister of Founders Fund. Cyan, can you tell us a story about a good or a bad pass? A story about a startup that you passed on. Yeah, I think some of the hardest passes I have are... I tried to experiment with passing in meetings because as you know, with our job, like our emails get backed up and then we have to send the pass emails later. Sometimes, you know, just within the first 15 minutes that something's not a fit. My other partners are good at this. They're just like, Hey, I'm so sorry. Like I'm going to cut this meeting short. I can tell this is not a fit for us. So I tried my hand at doing that. And then I started getting people getting very emotional. That's been really challenging. Wow. So I've stopped doing that because I've, I've had people like break down and cry. Oh boy. Wow. And I think that the issue is that I'm approachable and I'm a very down to earth person. And so I catch people off guard. They don't expect to have that emotional response and it just happens. It's kind of involuntary. That's been a real interesting thing that for me to navigate. And I've just stopped doing that. Back to the email pass. Back to the email pass. Yeah. But things that I regret are mostly so like I've gone through like all of the quote unquote unicorns and tried to figure out, I know it's not like Pokemon, you can't catch them all, but (laughs) I try. (laughs) And so I've gone through them all and tried to figure out how did I know the people and was there ever an opportunity for me to have been in the deal early or not? And there's a lot of them that there was no opportunity for any angel investors or any early investors to be involved in. But there's a few that stick out where I had an opportunity and I just didn't, I dropped the ball. And so I try to learn from those. Like for example, Dropbox, I knew Drew and he was very approachable and I probably could have done something. I'm not saying he would have taken a check from me. Who knows? I can't revise history. The fact that I had those connections, like I'm, I'm just regretful that I didn't invest in Drew. And so that's one of the ones where I was just like, I saw him at every event He was always talking about Dropbox. Why did I not ask him if he was accepting investments or not? You know, so that's one that I really dropped the ball on. You know, some other ones, maybe Twitter would have been one early that I possibly could have been involved with and didn't. There's very few that I passed on that went on to become big. 
Uh, there was a moment where I thought I might have really missed out on Fab. I don't know if you remember Fab. No, I don't. Oh, Fab was a. It started out as a gay social networking site, then it became a shopping site, which was a competitor to Gilt. Oh, right. Yep. And it was massive, and it was doing seemingly very well. And I remember my husband and I were just like, "Gosh, did we really screw up on that one?" Because we didn't invest in it, and we had an opportunity to, and then, and then it cratered. So there's always those, right? Where something has a meteoric rise and then falls to pieces. You can't predict that happening either. But I can't think of anything that's like really, really obviously a miss. Well, you're doing something right. (laughs) On today's special segment, we have David Cohen of Techstars. David, can you tell us about a good or a bad pass? A story about a startup that you passed on. Uh, they're hard, they're hard to categorize as good or bad because you, you know, you always learn from, but the, the one that, you know, in the, in the sort of anti-portfolio that I usually throw out there is, is this small company called Lyft. Ooh. Some people may have heard of it. So I'm a, I'm an angel investor in the first angel round of Uber. And I had an opportunity to also be in the first round of a company called Zemride, which later became Uber. Zemride was more about, a long distance, you know, ride share, you know, sort of carpooling from one city to the other, things like that. And I quickly pivoted to follow Uber once they saw uh, a, how that business was working and how their own was working. You know, I, I was around uh, the founder, one of the founders, there are many of, of Zimride before the pivot, really liked the person, really liked the team, didn't like the business. Um, didn't like the notion of kind of the the car sharing long distance. I thought it was limiting on on what it could be, and I and I passed right. Or I, I could have been in the top two, you know, U.S. car sharing services and you know sort of the low single million, you know, digit valuations. So, you know, with Zimride, I think the lesson there for me was it's it's don't forget it's about the team, right? I mean, you don't know what these companies are going to end up doing, and there's so much folklore about you know I invested in this thing. You know, when it was nothing, a story like Uber, it's true. But if you really think about, you know, when I sat down on the barstool with with Ryan Graves, right, pre-Travis, right, when Travis was just his idea, but Ryan was the guy running it uh, and the only person in the company, no cars on the road. You know, it, it was about black cars. And again, very limiting, licensed cars, high-end rides. There was no UberX or any notion of it, right? And that felt like the right thing to me and the right person to me. I often say if I had met Travis, I'm not sure I would have invested because it's it's a whole different personality and, and sort of maybe culture. I, I hope I would have, but who knows? With Zemride, you know, then Lyft, I, I like the people just as much. I just didn't like what they were doing as much. But at that stage, that's kind of par for the course. And you really have to focus on the overall market and the team because that team will figure out in that market what the right products are. And so that's sort of the one that pops to mind about, you know, whoops, shouldn't have passed on that one. Any concerns about conflicts? You know, I, I tell people at the sort of stage we operate at and, you know, the way we do things, we have to be world-class at making sure there are no conflicts, right? We have 1,400 or so, 1,500 portfolio companies. Yeah. Uh, we have 3,500 mentors. We're, we're good with information. We're good with context. I don't think in 11 years I've ever seen anything on the internet saying, you know, I've had this conflict of interest. We, we're, we're disclosed early and often. 
And we just tell people that, you know, these things are going to happen because these startups are going to pivot into each other, yep. right? Even if we don't intend to fund the same things, we just have the volume where they're going to pivot into each other. So, you know, we're, we're very focused on being good at that and, and we have to be. You know, it, it connects to the last point. So when I had Charles Hudson on, he said he was very comfortable with startups that pivot. He would invest in a company that he feels like needs to pivot in the future or will pivot, right? And then I have Charlie O'Donnell on and he says he would never invest in a company that he feels like needs to pivot. He needs to invest in the team that's executing the business with the model that that he believes in. I feel like I understand what side you're on with this one, but you know, can you just invest in a team that's working on uh, a problem that you know you don't feel like they quite have it right, but may have the other ingredients? Absolutely. I, I think in the early years, in fact, we did a lot more of that. I think back then, you know, we weren't seeing the volume of applications. We didn't have the brand recognition or the track record or referral engine going to the alumni, right, that we do today. And, you know, we'd have companies like Occipital, right, that, that some people may know. We took a chance on them. They jumped to mind. Right? 2008, second year of the accelerator. We had no, literally no idea what their business was going to be. Sphero is actually the same that I mentioned earlier, the, the, the sort of play company that's connected play. Uh, both of those companies are examples of we love the founders. We, we knew that they could build pretty much anything. Uh, we saw them try a bunch of different things during the application process. And, and we literally just sat around the table and said, we don't know what this is going to be, but we love these people. And I think that we just had an offsite where we were talking about this internally with the leadership here that we don't do enough of that anymore, right? That the application count is so high and the quality of them are so high that we don't have to do that. But a lot of them end up pivoting anyway. But how about a few slots where we just love the people and we have no clue what they're doing and let's let's help them get to the right thing? Because that, that has been a part of our you know success story in our portfolio. At this point, if you're a VC, you've heard of Carta. You've probably even accepted securities from a portfolio company on the platform. It feels like every new company is using Carta, and there's already 16,000 VC-backed companies on the platform. They also offer tools and services for VCs like fund administration. Carta has an army of fund accountants delivering high-quality service and dedicated teams of engineers constantly improving the functionality of their user-friendly investor platform with in-app quarterly reporting, real-time fund metrics, LP portals, and more. It's also easy to switch from an existing fund administrator or to augment your in-house team with their service. Learn more about their services at carta.com forward slash investors. And this episode of TFR is brought to you by Pacific Western Bank. Pacific Western specializes in providing financial services to startups, growth stage companies, and their investors, helping to navigate financial obstacles by providing access to funds and expertise. Pacific Western's customized products and team of venture banking specialists provides a banking experience designed specifically with startups and VCs in mind. If you run a tech company or if you invest in tech companies, it's strongly advisable that you build a relationship with the folks at Pacific Western. Go to pacwest.com to learn more. On today's special segment, we have John Fine of Firebrand Ventures. John, can you tell us about a good or a bad pass, a story about a startup that you passed on? Yeah, you know, I always like to 
to talk about the more painful ones because <laughs> because uh, you know anybody can can brag about you know the passes that well and they say oh man we're, we're glad we passed on this one yeah i think that's i think that's the easy way right because you know you end up saying no a lot more than you say yes and the statistics say that that most of them are going to fail but there was one startup in it was a tech stars company in the tech stars mobility program and we didn't get too deep with them it was just that the first time I met with them, I I didn't get it. Like it was just I just personally couldn't wrap my head around how this thing could be a big business. It wasn't hugely tech enabled. It almost sounded too too simplistic to work. And they're you know fast forward two years, they're doing fantastic. Um, they just raised a huge Series A. Their fundamentals are amazing, and it was just because. You know, I just, I think it was a, it was early on with Firebrand and I just think I had this maybe a knee jerk reaction where it was like, oh, I don't, I don't get it. You know, it's, it's not worth digging into. Let's just move on to the next one. And so I think along the way, you know, some of, some of the things you learn, I'm sure, you know, you've, you've uh, experienced this as well as, you know, just challenging your own biases. You know, I just think that's hugely, hugely important. Yep. You know, Ray Dalio talks a lot about that. Other VCs have talked about it. And we have so many across the board that it's really important. And I think that's the importance of having other team members or people you work closely with is to help you challenge those. And, and you know, it's it's a constant process. It, it never stops. And it doesn't even necessarily mean that whether that company ends up succeeding or failing, that there's a ton to learn from it because everything is such a case by case scenario. But I think the main point is, you know, challenge your own preconceptions about what could be a successful business or not. And, and do a lot of, you know, what we're talking about now, which is sort of uh, lessons learned post-mortem, whatever you want to call it. And, and trying to figure out, Hey, what can we take from this, this miss? You know, I've worked with folks who missed, <laughs> you know, who missed Uber, who missed Airbnb at the seed stage. Wow. And, you know, they're very open about it. And it's, it's, you know, VC is incredibly tough business. It's always 2020 hindsight, but I, I think, I think the key lay, you know, may lay in challenging your own biases and going back in time and sort of saying, well, if I didn't have this bias, would I have dug in deeper? Would I have really considered it more? Sometimes probably the answer is yes, and probably sometimes it's no. But that's what we always try to do, and always trying to sort of take a step back and be like, okay, are we are we making this, especially when it's a pass? And by the way, I never use the word pass. I never use the word pass when I'm talking to founders. It's probably just from being a founder and not liking it. <laughs> we'll, <laughs> we'll say it's not a fit, or you know, we're declining to invest. Right. But yeah, I think I think it's it's hugely valuable. We'll have plenty of misses, and we'll continue to 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 look back and and ask ourselves why. Yeah, you know, Mark Suster was on the program talking about passing on uh, Uber. I mean, even yeah. some of the best out there make mistakes. That's right. I've been thinking about this a lot lately, and uh, I've been meaning to write a blog post. I'm not sure what I'll call it. Something along the lines of the exception game or, you know, the bias game or something like that. But I've been thinking about, you know, why I get investment opportunities where larger VCs or more established VCs are, are very likely to pass or have passed on those. And I know that everyone is operating on this set of heuristics that they use to make quick mm-hmm. decisions, right? So imagine your own ten, list of 10 heuristics, right? Like 
needs to be a technical founder or needs to be in a certain geography or needs to have revenue, et cetera, et cetera. And these other VCs are, are passing on some opportunities that may be uniquely special for a reason that really doesn't tie to success, but it is a good reason or is a reason that allows them to optimize their time or be more efficient um, or invest in things that they're more comfortable with. So anyway, I think this is a, it's an interesting thing to think about and I'm glad you brought it up because, you know, the best companies in my portfolio were passed on by some great investors, but they passed for legitimate reasons, reasons that don't make my list of heuristics to pass. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, you know, the, first of all, you know, as far as passes go, I like to say, you know, the best basketball players in the world miss layups, right? The best golfers miss three foot putts. <laughs> it's, you know, this is going to happen. It, it doesn't, you know, that's not this, <laughs> any consolation for LPs, but it is going to happen. Yeah. You know, I, what you just said, I think is spot on. You know, if you look at, go up, you know, look at, at founder groups portfolio, you know, some of these are those exact scenarios where you think, why did they ever invest in these companies? Even companies today, you know, a Fitbit you know, no one, you know, no one was, I think they were really struggling. No one was really stepping up to invest in them when founder group did. That's right. Uh, you know, Sphero, you know, Sphero went through some struggles uh, and they're doing incredibly well. And so, you know, we're the same way. You know, we love sort of overlooked sectors that we consider to be unfairly overlooked sectors, maybe because of a few data points. Maybe there were a couple of well-funded startups that failed in that sector, uh, but but we're doing it differently than maybe a startup we're looking at, that we really love the team and their approach to it. We love stuff like that. And, and sometimes it means, yeah, like we have to work extra hard to help bring other investors to the table because it's not an obvious investment but those are the ones that that if you know the wild successes they're they're not the ones that everyone's piling into in the beginning right you know that it's it's the ones that are often overlooked and just are doing something in a very very different way it in a market that is still really large and and promising and growing so we do our best to to again when you hone in on it though to me the the easy true north to have to make your decision for you is the team. Yep. Because if you absolutely love the team, and it isn't this way 100 percent of the time, but if you absolutely love the team and you love their approach to an, to an overlooked market, to me that's where the magic happens potentially. Now you know there's always scenarios where you absolutely love the team and you just can't quite get there in the market, but that happens fewer much, much, you know, less common for us. Usually it's this team. One of the reasons we love them is because they're attacking this, this still very large market in in a different way, even though it seems to be sort of dismissed and and VCs have moved on to the next thing. Team is so critical and it's, it's so difficult to really assess the team without, you know, multiple conversations and really digging in. We just had one of these situations with a, with a founder. So he's an academic. He was uh, previously a professor. And so my initial reaction when it came across my desk was, ooh, this is, this is an unlikely investment, right? Right. And we took meetings with him, though, and we're blown away. And his co-founder, I, I don't want to reveal the name here, but she was fantastic, too. So we just got more and more confidence the more and more time we spent. 
And we were the only VC in the deal. It's early. It's pre-seed. And everyone else was passing on this. And they would say, you know, not going to touch it, not going to do the academic angle. Right. So anyway, we make this commitment. Who knows if it'll be successful? But, you know, within three days of us committing to the founder, we find out that Brad Burnham just made a commitment. And, mm-hmm. you know, that that's not the difference between success and, and failure. But it was nice validation that one of the better investors in in the world, if not, or in the country, if not the world, um, also made a commitment. So... Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, the key there is, and like you said, whether it succeeds or fails, you can look back and say you invested for the right reason. Right. Right. I mean, I, I think that's the best you can do is, is say, okay, like, you know, that, you know, you honed in on the team and, and really believed in them, you know, regardless of whatever, you know, advanced degrees that they have and, and therefore were dismissed by others thinking they were too academic. So, yeah, I mean, I, I love stuff like that too. Yeah. It's it's nice to be able to look back and say, you know, every investment you've done, you do again. Even when if they go sideways, even if they fail. Um, That's right. Not too many people that can say that. That will conclude this installment of Investor Stories. If you're enjoying the program and would like to see it continue, take a moment and leave a five star review in iTunes. Also, if you'd like updates on new content from TFR as well as the top 10 VC articles every week, go to fullratchet.net and sign up for the newsletter. Okay, that will wrap things up for today. Until next time, overprepare, choose carefully, and invest confidently. Thanks for joining me.